Hello, fellow travelers. This is David Woods, your host and trusted guide. Welcome to our little fellowship as we gather to discuss the Christian life in a post-Christian world. We are broadcasting from Babylon with love. This summer I went to a wedding. And bless God, I went to a wedding and I didn't have to do the wedding. I got to watch a wedding. Um, and at that wedding there was a pastor who was not me because I wasn't doing the wedding. I was watching the wedding. And I was in shade too um, with Lisa. And we were relaxing and I was like, oh, cool. And I've been to a lot of weddings. I've done a lot of weddings. And uh, the pastor gets up and starts talking about marriage and all the things you talk about at a wedding. And I said to Lisa, I don't know if it was then or a little bit later, I said, ah, how refreshing. And um, she knows I'm whatever. And I said, "Uh, yeah, just... It's just nice. He's like, he's like comfortable in his skin. He knows what he's talking about. He seems like a normal person. He didn't have all like some of the shticky, like, uh, <laughs> he didn't have a lot of extra stuff. And, and, uh, and I ended up sitting at a table at the reception with him and a bunch of other people and got to talking and just appreciated meeting a brother in Christ who knows the Lord clearly wasn't, I don't know, wasn't trying to do something, but what, what, the Lord was up to in that place and was naming it in clear ways that were compelling, whether someone knew the Lord yet or didn't. And it just felt like someone, it felt like a soul. He didn't seem much older or younger than me, but it felt like a soul that was, um, I would say uniquely settled in the Lord. Mm. And, and again, having been around a lot of pastors, it's not always the, the vibe I get for better and for worse, but, um, yeah, it just struck me. And so, we struck up a little conversation here, there, and uh, and I kind of got in his ear about bugging him to drive up north. He lives in San Diego-ish, San Diego, San Diego yeah. County. Oceanside. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And his name is Tim, and he is joining us on the podcast today. Tim, I don't want to butcher the name. I think I got it right. Tim Parlier. That's it. Yeah. Crushing it. It sounds like... Um, you must have done like six years of French. Like a French it sounds point. like a French pirate who... <laughs> You'd be wow. like parlier, huh? Like parlier, and, and there'd be like an ongoing joke. And there is actually about- in that. What's the Depp movie? Uh, oh yeah, the Pirates, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. There is this thing about the what is it? The Curse of Parlay, parlay. Or whatever. Parlay. Yeah, and like for when that movie came out, there was a little I had slippage. A, there. I had a spike in my following because there was. <laughs> Didn't last very long. But pastor, yeah. Pastor Tim, pastor of which church? Where? That was pre-pastoring. Actually, that was just uh, <laughs> no, no, just these, back when I used to enjoy these life. Days. Uh, yeah. No, oh, but uh, oh, we'll get into it. Ouch. Um, yeah, the Generation Church is a, is our church family. Generation Church in Oceanside. Oceanside. Okay. Yes, and uh, if you're a local, they're really into South O being like its own neighborhood. That's a thing. You know how it is. Yeah. It's our, You know, you're in Orange County. Choice. Like, there's very these lines that people want to be known for which side they're on. I don't actually live in South O, so I don't really care where people are coming from. <laughs> but in South Oceanside, it's kind of a hit. It's a little more of a hipster zone. I got you. You know, there's a it's a it's a the coastal side by the beach. I got you. A lot of Long-time families, so they're really proud of their their little zone. South O, and it's cool, you know. Yeah, props to the South O. It's a cool spot. Um, I don't really care where I'm at, you know. It's, I'm like, people are people, and uh, Jesus is still Jesus, kind of wherever you're at in the world. But amen. But, well, you were at a wedding, yeah. And I, I again, I'm still like, I'll think every once in a while, I'll be like, 
how nice is that? Oh. Like just being able to watch a wedding yeah. and just just pray yeah. quietly in the corner and um, no, but it was a real treat. It was for a couple uh, cool. I, I dearly that. love and who are going to your church these days mm-hmm. and and it was also nice because in pastor land you don't often see where people go next or you might hear a name, sure. but you almost never in the old world like. I'd have to make a phone call. Mm-hmm. I'd have to be like, hey, just so you know, they left membership of our church and right. they're going to be joining your church and here's a little bit of background so you know how to pastor them. Like, that doesn't happen anymore. And so uh, unfortunately, I would say it doesn't happen anymore. It's the exception for sure. Yeah. So, okay. So, so it was cool to be able to see this isn't just some guy, but this is a pastor who's going to be shepherding people that I care about a lot. And it was like, oh, wow, you don't usually get to meet that person or mm-hmm. see that person. And, uh, and then again, be encouraged um, that there just wasn't some shtick <laughs> it just i mean maybe there's another shtick that you're interested in or whatever but at least at least the brief shticks. moments it was like oh that's awesome the lord's good you know it just seemed yeah. like that that just is just a clear stable like genuine like word about marriage mm. about the gospel and simple clear but but comfortable and compelling in a way that I don't often feel so I bugged you and I'm so thankful that you did drive up yeah. uh, to be in the very to be in the moderately warm garage mm, that's um, beautiful, man. not I'm not bad it. yeah you know what's interesting about that is the other side of that coin is um, you know I this couple they're, they're friends of ours and they're in our life group yeah, and yeah. like we share a lot of life with them. there's some of our becoming our best friends and uh, and it's also on the other side it's like <laughs> Man, what if they went to some super kooky church? Are they coming you know from what a we cult? inherited? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. A cult that meets in a castle somewhere in Orange County. <laughs> Ooh, that's a deep cut. Uh, <laughs> Keep going. Keep going. But no, yeah, it's it's cool to, and then get a chance to meet. I'm like, okay, great. Like this is the same. We're on the same team yeah. here. Within, I mean, the Christian world's gotten so bizarre, um, and and in America seems like anything can be a, this massive dividing factor. Right. And so when you meet. I think people that are able to hold the tension and are thinking, well, and I've really enjoyed listening to your podcast. It's like, yeah, we're concerned about their connection with Jesus and primarily their every aspect of life being surrendered to him. And, and, and yet at the same time, we're trying to hold tension with people on gray areas and things that they're coming to us about that, you know, honestly, I don't know where to point you other than why we're going to have to discern this together and and hold humility the whole time. And uh, some aren't doing that. You know, I think <laughs> it's why we're talking about what we're talking about today is yeah. um, it seems to be the hard road and, and just sensing that about you and knowing that that's your, your conviction in your heart is let's just, just be about things that matter. Yeah. And uh, let's just let's seek after truth and hold humility and try to do that at the same time, which is really hard. And that's right. And, and it strikes me that it can be a moment because it's been so strained and so weird, difficult, whatever. Um, it can be a moment of a, a new sort of ecumenical vibe of like first things first mm-hmm. and whoever's up to the first things first. And, and we have those, those essentials in common. That's what it's about. Like mm-hmm. just kind of a, maybe just a refresh of like, what are we actually supposed to be up to? And you know what? Maybe there's a few more of those people out there because it can, you know, you can start ending up finding yourself in a bunker feeling like, geez, the whole, everybody's lost Definitely. <laughs> their mind. Um, so, okay. Before we get into some of the details of the present though, I, I want to ask a little bit about the past. I want to ask a question I ask most people who come on for the first time, especially, um, but this is genuinely almost all new to me because we haven't talked a lot. We've just sort of given each other clip notes. Um, And so I genuinely want to know how you 
came to the Lord, mm-hmm. and then ultimately how you felt called into ministry. I'm always interested in talking to pastors and trying to trying to see what that looks like, what that looked like. Um, where would you start in the story of 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 Tim coming to know the Lord? Did you ra- were you raised in a Christian home? Was this par for the course? Was it what was what was life like? Growing sure. Up? Yeah. I'm going first off. I'm a pastor, so I essentially get paid by the word. So, but I'm going to try to cut this gonna- down for <laughs> listenership here. But but. Uh, <laughs> The, the short answer is it's kind of twofold. And, and I also don't know, you know, some of the specifics of how God works mysteriously, sure. but, um, I did have Christian influence growing up. So sometimes I'll joke that, uh, you know, I had a drug problem in my youth because my mom drugged me to church. Wow. That is Sunday. a pastor joke there it is. mixed <laughs> with a dad joke. Yeah. Oh, it's right there. Almost a granddad joke. I Some people that. will just That's get up and joke. leave right there on Sunday and just say, this isn't for me. And I say, you're right. It's the cost of discipleship to deal with this. <clears throat> Bonhoeffer was right. So anyways, um, yeah, my mom was a really faithful church attender, man. I just remember walking down the stairs when I was a little boy and like every morning my mom would have her little tea and her coffee and then there was a highlighters in it and pink and yellow highlighter and oh, a pen. So classic. And yeah. And just, and then fold it up and greet me in the morning. My dad worked a ton and worked for Disney as a, and he was a laborer uh, for a union. And so he was up and out real early. So most of my weekly rhythm was wake up with mom and she would take me to church on Sundays and, um, and so I had some of those early seeds planted, mm-hmm. but I, like most kids, I think, or, or many kids, we know just statistically, they sort of grew up in this cultural Christian environment, but that relational intimacy piece is not there. And so I hit that tension point where I was like, I don't really like culturally some of this stuff. And I, I don't not believe in God, but like, I don't know, man, you know, and I, I felt like I got kind of two clear messages from my church and I don't know if they were trying to do this or not. And I have just a ton of grace for it. Cause you know, I'm a knucklehead. I'm a teenager at this point. And who knows if they were, what they were saying and what I'm hearing. Right, I mean, those right, are two sure. different things. Sure. But what I was hearing was if you want, really want to be faithful to God, you invite your friends to church. And if you're not doing that, you're keeping them from God. Wow. And you probably need to get out of the way or how dare you. So I just felt yeah. shame, right? I just mm. felt condemnation. I suck at being a Christian. So why the heck am I even doing this? So that was kind of like message one. And then message two was your role here is to show up. I mean, your role is to attend. And I'm kind of like, well, oh, gosh, like most of my friends are going to think I'm a total weirdo if I invite them to church. And, you know, I'm just going to admit it. I'm too insecure to go out of my comfort zone here. So I'm going to stink at that and, attend and oh, it's kind of like a popularity contest here. I, don't, I just don't know if I want to do this. So I just bowed out, you know, I just, um, ditched any opportunity I could, I would ditch. I remember it vividly, my mom, we would get to church. I would, uh, pretend that I was going to the youth group building. I would go into the bathroom. I'd pretend to do some business in there for a while while group started and all that. Then I would exit the bathroom, walk back to the car and sit in the car for like an hour and listen to the radio or just walk home. Cause yeah. we lived close enough to the <laughs> building to walk home. And then I would lie to my mom wow. about whatever was happening. How was group? Great. You know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, why are you at home? Oh, cause we ended early and you know, we went home and that was it, man. That was like my early seeds. And then I went off and I partied and, did what I actually want to do in life, which was not be a church kid. 
And uh, that led me to San Diego State for college where I figured I could get, you know, my my minor in business and my major in beer pong. And so, yeah, I... (laughs) I San got Diego both. State, legendary. Yeah. Party school. It's, you know, it's been known. Is that a fair legend? Uh, uh, the it legend, it, I mean, it's it been that said reputation. that it's the Harvard of the West Coast, and I, you know, I wouldn't argue that. <laughs> it's, it's an institution of higher learning, and so we just craft different, yes. you know, excellence <laughs> projects. So I joined the joined a fraternity, did that whole thing. The whole um, thing. Yeah. Wait, went, don't skip over that. Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I went, well, I guess it is sort of related, because... But yeah, I, I joined a fraternity. I heard, hey, if you really want to party, like, don't be a so, random. Because some people join, like, networking, future, business, no, no. whatever. Well, you of were course, like, I wanted a job. You were like bigger beer pong tables. I just want to be the <laughs> bigger hugest kegs. I could possibly Freer be. Kegs. Like, who wears the. <laughs> when I go to the gym, which group of dudes has the least amount of shirt? You know? <laughs> I mean, this is. And there's like me right here. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna bro out so hard. And a fraternity at San Diego State is, it's like the bullseye of the stereotype. Is that I, right? I, I'm not gonna argue that. Or at least there was a time, you know, back in my day when yeah, things when were really were actually real. still when frats you know, were really doing. frats. And you know, any of my buddies, any of my buddies, because I will send them this link, will actually will laugh, chuckling themselves because they know how honest I'm being about how ridiculous we were. But. But yeah, that was, you know, that's, that was it. I just, I had bought into this narrative College that's experience. very powerful, which is if you were to live that, you will be completely satisfied in every way. You know, if, if attractive people want to be your friends and if beautiful girls, which San Diego State's not lacking, w- want to be around you and date you and hook up with you, then you are living, you are living the greatest life America has to offer. Mm-hmm. And by the way, maybe some of you knuckleheads will actually make it in life and business and hook each other up. And then there you, you can also have money too. Then you can network. You yeah. can just crush it yeah. in every area, yeah. you know? And so that was, that was the the narrative that we sold. And, and I think it's true temporarily. Mm. Like you, I did feel on top of the world. I became the president of the fraternity. My friends, I really think they were cool guys. They were fun to be with. They were funny. They were, really social, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and, um, and then it all was skidding to a halt though. Like all things do. Were you Uh, playing sports at school? I didn't play. uh, No, in high school I had a super bad shoulder injury twice. Actually, I'll show you my, Oh, there's a scar. Yeah. Yeah. That's reconstructive surgery on my shoulder and that ended any contact sports. And so that was it for me. But, um, yeah, it was just, it was just go to school, work party and, my junior year, I was the president of our fraternity, and um, one of the requirements of being the president is that you had to be sober when there were party events at the house. Ah, yeah, buzzkill. Counting the cost, man. You know that <laughs> falling. <laughs> and so there I was. It's a Thursday night. We're mm. partying at the house, and I'm sober, and uh, a lot of stuff. This is my junior year, and a lot of stuff had been going sideways. I, not, to, I don't want to get into the details of it, but I just was my sin was catching up to me I mean, i'm looking in the mirror and i'm saying the guy that i'm looking at is a guy that i'm disgusted by mm. uh it's a guy that you know like my, the sixth grade version of me would look at and be like i don't want to be like that mm. that guy's a jerk that guy's selfish or and i just done some things that i thought wow oh, i never thought i would ever do that and yet here i am on this party I'm at 
I'm sober. I, you know, music is blasting all that. And I just felt God speak to me. And I don't know how you know that when it's happening, but you just do. And it was very simple. Hey, are you satisfied now? Now that you've built this kingdom for yourself, are you satisfied? And I, I, I felt like a maniac. I'm talking to myself in the corner, just kind of shaking my head saying, no, I'm not. And this idea just clear as day pops in my head. You need to go to church. I'm like, okay. And so it's Thursday. I wait a few days. There's there's a church that met near campus Sunday night. I heard about it. I'm gonna go. I think I think God's like talking to me, you know. And so I I go by myself, and I sneak in the back, kind of trying to like make sure no one sees me because I didn't want to get judged and all that. Um, and I sit in the back. And, you know, of course it's like light show and there's like a band and it's super hip cause it's like a college group, you know, and all that. And ever all the graders are, you know, <laughs> all chipper and cute and everything. <laughs> chipper is the right word. And, but I'm there to do business, right? Like yeah. I, I'm like, I'm kind of like, feel like a zombie walking through and I sit in the back and I have no idea what that guy taught about. I have no idea what the lyrics and what songs we sang were. I don't know if I even sang along, but. I just got totally wrecked by God's spirit. I mean, mm. I distinctly remember sitting there and having like, like a, like all of these moments flash before my mind, me just being a cheater and a liar and a you know, prideful and all these things, all these moments I'm, I'm looking at, I'm seeing like party moments in my life and I'm bracing for the backhand of like, how dare you disappoint me? And then I heard from God after all these moments flashing, he says, and I love you anyways. And I remember thinking, how in the world could you love me? I'm like, I'm like the worst. I, I mean, I've even been basically like telling people I'm Christian, you know, like I would mm. even like be like, oh, you should stop doing that, man. It's like, not like, right. You know, and I would take like yeah. this moral Christian high road with people yeah. without knowing Jesus. And I'm thinking, God, I'm the worst one out there. Not only do I party, I know better and know I've been better. doing all this. I've, I've led, I know some of my friends have done drugs because I'm the one that brought it to him and was like, we should do this together. Like I've led people off cliffs and you're saying you love me anyways. And it was like, that was when the gospel began to finally click. Like his grace actually is real. And it, m- there, my sin is nothing compared to his grace and his love for me. Mm-hmm. And um, that's that to me at 20 years old, I would say that's when I actually began to know Jesus and walk with him. I think up until then I knew about him mm-hmm. and I think I had affinity towards him, mm-hmm. but I think I was just still part of the crowd that like, and, 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 oh, and by the way, I grew up Calvary chapel. So I was terrified of the the rapture. So that was about, that was about, <laughs> that's what kept me going to church. You just loot me in again. There yeah, you go. So I, I was, you know, I was, <laughs> I grew up, you know, you're the, be left behind the left the, behind the series, man. So the... if I was, hold, I, the only reason I was ever holding the line was I was just terrified of going to hell and like that the rapture is going to happen. I was going to wake up and car crashes, I was stuck and here, planes yeah, falling her, out of the sky. Cameras here to tell everyone what's Come going on. on, but anywhere else. Anyways, yeah. What what kind of impact does this have? Twenty years old, going forward, but you're described. I mean, whether it was 
you know, joking, not joking, but school choice, maybe career, like all these things are partly at least an old motivational structure. Yeah. An old version of yourself that had maybe old aspirations, old hopes, or, or at least were much more fleshly than you probably suddenly started to think. I mean, was it like, oh, and then I, you know, abandoned this and I moved there, I did all, or was it, you know, I, I hunkered in, committed, and started to just figure out slowly what that meant. What, what happens at yeah? After well, a I mean, obviously, like immediately I stopped sinning. Yeah, I mean, isn't that what happened <laughs> with you? Thank yeah, God. Yeah, jeez, uh, it was so well, nice. It's good having you on. Yeah. I really appreciate yeah. <laughs> the candor. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, um, no, uh, it was man, it was a bumpy road, uh, but yet I did have new desires. Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the new life Changed in Christ. Heart. It's like yeah. I had these. The Holy Spirit's calm. He's He's giving me a new passion, new desires, but there was a war inside. And thank God I had a guy that stepped into my life almost immediately. His name is Charlie Roos and he was the college pastor at the time and just took me under his wing. And he was also getting his marriage and family therapist degree Mm. at a seminary right across Mm. the street from the church that we were at. So I was getting a lot of free hours essentially. And he was just picking me apart. You know, why do you look to that for satisfaction? What's it offering you? Oh, yeah? Well, what about this? And do you think that has anything to do with the way things were in your family? And what about, And I mean, he's just pulling Whoa. back the layers on you. I mean, wow. it's such an evidence of God's grace to me that Man. he got put Charlie in my life for that season because I think I fast-tracked into, some, into the inner journey of what it, like the heart work yeah. that's required and not just jumping into like yeah. behavioral modification stuff. Right, which can be a whole nother season that you end up having to redo. Totally, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Like totally. massive deconstructionist movement, I think we're seeing broadly is yeah. so much of that. Yeah. was like, don't do the heart work, just jump into Christian practicals. And mm-hmm. thankfully, God spared me from a lot of that and used not just him, but and other men as well and, and, and women to just get me to look under the hood and um but there was a very real war of of inside i mean like most christians i immediately was like okay cool well how do i get everything i get from jesus and everything that the world offers and mm-hmm. just match them Optimize. up yeah like i'll just <laughs> i'll get rich and do all that and yeah. i'll yeah. give and be involved right. hey uh but but i think jesus just constantly was pursuing me and inviting me into more and more surrender uh which looked like me getting a very normal sales job out of college and um, meeting my now wife. She was also in a sorority at the time and we met through mutual friends and um, but pretty early on because we both came from that party background, we came to a crossroads of breakup and trying to figure out and we, we had dinner one night to try to reconcile things and, and we both came to the same conclusion. It's just basically, it sounds kind of trite, but it's, look, we're either going to pursue Jesus and let him dictate what our lives look like in every way, or we should not try to do this or we're going to hate each other mm-hmm. and kill each other. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And with total honesty in our eyes, we both agreed, shook our head. Yeah, that's it. That's what we need to do. We either need to do this completely, you know, quote unquote, by the book, yeah. as close as we can, or we shouldn't even try. And that was our that was it. That was our rally cost. point. Yeah. And, uh, not that we did <laughs> perfectly, but it was like, thankfully there was a clear 
we don't have the ability to do this on our own. We're going to need God's empowerment to Well, that's incredible that you both were there. Because <sighs> so often, as you know, it's like tra- trying to talk, one person trying to talk the other one into it. Totally. It's, a, it's like one of the hardest things like a person can go through. Being like, yeah. wake up to the Lord and then try to like be the person who motivates another person to wake up to the Lord while also maybe dating them. <laughs> well, and there was a bit of that. Yeah. Uh, there definitely was a bit of that, which I think was part of what led us to hitting rock bottom. Mm. And I guess that's the beauty of coming to the end of yourself. Mm. And I might even say in our particular life situation and coming from that party lifestyle, we both knew we don't have what's required in our flesh. Like Mm. we're not just going to like white knuckle this thing and Mm. be great at relationships. God's either going to help us or we already know what awaits us. It's a bunch of garbage. And so I think we had, we had a, I don't even, I don't know if I would even call it humility, but it's the only word that's come to my mind. There was a humility of knowing we need God's power to show up. And so we pursued that and did premarital counseling and kind of threw ourselves into any group or Bible study we could get into. And, um, that's actually what led to the place I think where I could actually hear God calling me mm-hmm. into a vocational ministry type mm. of role, which is uh, uh, sort of what you alluded to earlier in your question was, yeah, how did I get into, how did I get into vocational ministry? And that came maybe six years out of college. I don't know. My timeline might be a little bit screwed up, but I was working for a general contractor doing project management work. We were involved in a church and connecting, doing the small group thing and all that. And, but I was, I was reading a lot that time. I feel like God was stirring in my heart, just a, just a hunger to know more and to, to really love people well. And the church we were part of was, was really cool. It was healthy. It was relational oriented. And so I'm reading, I'm getting in the word a bunch. Um, and I read a book by um kp johannan from gospel for asia they've gone through a whole bunch of pr nightmare and i don't know how much of it's true or not but that book anyways was powerful Mm -hmm. i mean he was talking about what they were doing to reach the unreached in the continent of asia and and just real life examples of some of their people of what they go through day in and day out and the the persecution but also the amazing um, movement of God that's happening in, in the continent of Asia. And it was so inspiring. I remember reading it on a flight for work to on the East coast. And I was coming back and I'm reading this book and I was in tears on the plane mm. and I came home. I'm like, honey, God's doing something on my heart. I feel like I need to be a part of this. Mm. Maybe not this ministry, mm-hmm. but like, man, we need to be a part of what God's doing in the world. Like, we're, you know, we're going to, we're going to live. We're, our lives are going to be super short and we're going to, we're going to die. We're going to mm-hmm. retire and, I don't want to just like retire and play golf. You know, I don't want to just do hobbies. You know, I really want to be caught up in mm-hmm. what God's doing in the world. I mean, that's why we're here. You know, I was just, that passion was yeah, yeah. coming up yeah. and she thought I was nuts at first, but then she realized, Oh my gosh, it's not going away. Like he's really about this. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I think, I think I need to leave my job. Like, mm. and, and then it's like, well, <laughs> we should probably find out where you're going before yeah, you leave no. your job. <laughs> So that was a season of discernment and, and reading and interviewing with different organizations. And um, eventually I found Fellowship of Christian Athletes, FCA. And my heart really broke for students, specifically 
the thing that was in my head for my whole career, which is about nine years there was, um, I just couldn't bear the reality that thousands and thousands of kids within a 15 minute drive of me were going to graduate and they hadn't even been exposed to the gospel. Mm. And that just, it was like a, a holy discontentment, you might call it of, that's just not okay. You know, and there's actually people intentionally trying to make sure that that happens, that they never hear the gospel. And I'm thinking if I could do anything that, to go and just be a vessel for a proclamation and just a, an encouragement of good news. And actually God's for you and mm-hmm. whatever you've seen on TV isn't probably even close to what Jesus is actually like. And I'd like to help clarify that in some way in my career. And, and so that's what I did. I just jumped in and started raising support and did campus ministry for nine years. And um, so what would that look like? You would go to teams, during before after game seasons and be the like a chaplain person so there was you'd start events and invite athletes to it you, what, what it's happens? kind of i mean the beauty of fca is there's so much like entrepreneurial you know there, there's lanes obviously they're working with athletes and coaches primarily but students and um at that time the campus lunch club was really popular so we would have students that would lead a lunch club every week you know on a Wednesday or whatever day it was, and we'd have pizza, they'd invite their friends, we'd have guest speakers, students would get up and share their testimonies, there'd be, um, vi- you know, we'd watch videos and break into groups and discuss it. Um, it was just this safe place on campus every week at lunch where kids could explore God and ideas about God. Mm-hmm. And it was really cool because I think, I don't think any of those clubs had less than 30% of kids that weren't followers of Jesus. That's awesome. And yeah. there was always kids curious. Because there's no real, I mean, there's not very many safe places to explore Jesus outside of attending a church, right. which is kind of overwhelming for a lot it's of kids. Intense, yeah. But if you're at campus and there's something going on at lunch and there's some food there and you know a couple of kids mm-hmm. from your team that are going, it's not that big of an invite to go, especially if there's, we would have like sometimes bigger named athletes show up and uh, they would come. And so it's really cool. I want to meet a guy from the Chargers or yeah, I want to yeah. meet a guy that played at for the Rams or whatever. So it was just cool to use sports as a way to do that. Now, obviously there's, there's challenges in any ministry model, but for the most part, it was doing exactly what I felt like God put on my heart, which is just be that first, that first window of opportunity for a kid to be exposed and have those seeds planted. Did you feel any reservation early on? Cause one of the classic mistakes or, or maybe not, maybe mistake is, is too clear. Um, but, the challenge of the church in its push to attract attract young people particularly um, is find a charismatic person that people would have liked whether or not they knew Jesus and and if they know Jesus make them the youth group guy make them make them a leader right you were a leader in the old world of a frat I mean like you're you're that you're that guy right um, and so did you feel any reservations along the way or did you feel like huh like going from one to the next did you feel you're not describing really being pushed it sounds like by anybody around you maybe the parachurch thing is a blessing in in that way actually um because in the church to find someone who is 
a natural speaker or compelling or whatever. It's right. like fast track maturity. Who cares? Let's just get them in front. Of, if that'll get right. kids in the seats, like, and it's all for Jesus. So more kids hearing the gospel is more kids hearing the gospel. Totally. How can you ever say that's a problem? Um, but so many of the problems of the church and some of the stuff we'll get into in a little bit um, has the issue of maturity or growth sort of curves of maturity in someone's spiritual life mm-hmm. not matching how they're viewed or how uh, attractive they are to an audience or whatever yeah did you did you sense that that nine years with fca um ran you up against that or was that kind of like time out of time to kind of work your way through you weren't being fast-tracked in church land per se yeah right yeah um so did you encounter that sense or people kind of asking, Hey, I want you to do this. I want <laughs> yeah. You to, yeah. Well, it's kind of, it's a bit of both. I watched it happen with my peers right. that were youth pastors. So we worked hand in hand. Right. You grew up in the church anyway. Yeah. More or less, so totally. you also saw that. Yeah. So I saw that happening. I mean, unfortunately the youth pastor world is just a total revolving door. I mean, it's really sad to see, um, there, I thought what you talked about with, with Aaron on one of your shows, prior you know about yeah. ageism it's it's so true uh he articulated as um you know you're the hope <laughs> they put the, all these hopes on this one person right and um i i feel like we do that in all spheres of society sure. uh, we find this 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 savior <laughs> i think we all long for a savior yeah. yeah and uh we are really frustrated with how long jesus usually takes to do his work so we just try to plug someone else in that role and off we go. Thankfully for me and David, I, in general, I feel like I've been spared so much yeah. church abuse experiences. <laughs> People show up to generation and they'll say, well, you know, we weren't quite sure how to approach you. Cause you know, at our last church, they got really upset when we did this and this and this. And, and essentially what they're telling me is, man, I got beat up and smacked around yeah. and I'm so shocked that that's not happening here. I'm not quite sure what to do with it. Yeah. And, and I'm like, I think God never had to go through that stuff. Yeah. And, and so many people have, and it's, so it's, it's a blessing, but I'm also a little bit blind in some ways to how pervasive yeah. abusive leadership is in churches. Now, I also want to give a lot of grace and credit to like, there's probably a lot of churches that aren't that way, mm-hmm. but unfortunately the bad stuff gets magnified way more, Sure, you know, like, um, and with FCA, because of the way it's structured and you have to raise your own financial support to even live, there's nobody, I mean, you either champion, your, you either know you're called or you probably just don't raise the support because it's just too discouraging you right. know? and you have to do that year after year after year. So it would kind of weed out a certain kind of fast and easy. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time as a, as a inclined towards leadership guy being tall, having the track record of leadership stuff, I would get the advice. Hey, can sure. you speak at this? Can you be at that thing? Whatever else. And, um, I got the most, <laughs> there was a period of time. Part of my ministry was coaching football love football uh coach for nine seasons this is the first actually this friday will be the first time in 10 years i haven't coached a high school You're wearing football, a football shirt a right now. hey i'm i'm repping la casa caver la casa can mavericks today that was the school i okay. just finished coaching at formally That's and good. um the school prior to that was a small christian school and 
Um, that's a dangerous place, the small Christian schools. I think you know about that. Um, I die. Well, I work there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's the expectation of parents is, is all over the map. And I got sort of suckered into a situation where I was a paid spiritual hitman without realizing. Mm. I sensed it was happening. Hey, we want you to start this group. Can you lead this group at our Bible study? Hey, we'd actually like to be donors for you. And, you know, this would be great for your ministry. And, you know, we'll even ask some of the other parents. Maybe they'd want to help out your ministry. So I'm like, oh, wow, these people are amazing. And they're cool, you know. Until their son got in trouble at school. And, I, you know, I meet with these kids once a week. And this, this kid in particular, like, he wasn't really leaning in that hard to Jesus, if I want to put it lightly. Like, it was cool to have the group. But really, they, these guys mainly wanted, to tell, wanted me to tell them stories from college. Yeah. Like, they were in, And if we have to get through some Bible study, well, you know, we can tolerate Tim's ramblings about God. Well, this kid ends up getting in trouble, which is inevitable, right? And I get a call from the dad to tell me how I failed him and his family. Oh, and uh, how my lack of follow-up with his kid, and he's just so, he just can't believe how I've let them out to dry. And I'd be lying if I didn't say it. I took it super personally, mm-hmm. right? Like, I knew this guy, hurt people hurt people. This guy's wounded. He's not able to reconcile his own failures as a parent, so he's dumping all the shame onto me. And I, I could even, I knew even in the conversation this is happening, but man, it hurt so bad. Mm-hmm. It was exactly what you were just describing of we're just going to put this like cool kind of younger guy and he's just going to like talk to our kids. Silver bullet. And, yeah, the yeah. silver bullet. And wait a minute, our kid got in trouble? Well, it's definitely not our fault. Mm. You know, yeah. our, our kid's a jerk. <laughs> definitely not our fault. Um, <laughs> it's got to be that guy. He, the guy we were paying. failed. We gave him money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it was, oh man, but it was so, it was so painful because in some ways, they're right. I wasn't the silver bullet. And if, as a pastor and minister, like you kind of hope you will be, mm. honestly. I mean, mm. just to shoot straight, it's like, you, you, and in some ways, sometimes God does allow you to do that. Sometimes he does use us. We open our mouths and you're, the Holy Spirit moves and people's lives change. You can't believe it. And it's like, well, that's the amazing part of being a vessel for God, whether you're a pastor or just, you're just opening your mouth with the, your coworker. It's like when God moves, he can use a, a donkey, right? And so that's exciting. And then there's other times you're like, wow, I thought I'd try to do everything I could and nothing changed. And now I'm actually, I'm actually the problem. Mm. And, uh, so I didn't escape it fully, but, um, yeah, I don't know what else. <laughs> I, no, I mean, because, and, and I had mentioned a couple, you know, in our conversations, um, things that in most of my interactions with pastors would be like, the eye roll, the, oh, yeah. And a couple of them, I remember you not reacting very strongly to. And I remember being like, oh, that's interesting. And now you're saying that, I'm like, oh, he wasn't in the middle of some of this nastier stuff or he's not so over this because he's been dealing with it forever. It, right. You know, like to see that some of it passed you on the other side, some of it, um, is also really encouraging to, <laughs> to hear because as you kind of keyed up a little bit before generationally, we're this like group of ex evangelical deconstruct, like I can't believe what my, 
parents and their church actually were saying to me when I was growing up, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like we're in the moment in which 30-somethings, 40-somethings are like, it's just the, the train of baggage. The baggage is everywhere, right? Yeah, and it's like, totally. and, and, and everything is wrong. And most people who are deconstructing never reconstruct anything and they mm-hmm. just keep going. Pastors, yep. big names and stuff just completely keep going yep. away and away and away. And, and in some sense, it's like that Elijah moment, like, oh, wait, there's, other, <laughs> there's others who maybe don't have all of the same exact baggage or don't, aren't going to spend, you know, a decade or two, like having to sift through all this extra stuff. There are tons of people who are, and, and we want to be able to be there for them, but it became like the trope of a generational moment of like, the church doesn't just have all sorts of problems. The church is the problem. And they're, they're the reason that the, everything is the way it is. They're the reason I'm, I struggle with the things I struggle with. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. everything you're describing with that parent blaming you for this kid is also what's become popular for people our age to say about the church no in general. Doubt. right? No so even just hearing that the Lord and his sovereignty um, – did not have the same story for everyone and maybe given a, a little bit larger bandwidth of stuff for you in certain areas where for me, it might be like, if I hear one more, person, <laughs> you know, like I might be really struggling for patience if I get this one more time. Um, so that's, that's really refreshing. When, when I talked to you about, you know, even coming on, um, I wanted your story. And then I also, because of that, because of certain elements in that story and because of the moment in which we are talking, um, where this recent podcast on the rise and fall, fall of Mars Hill has blown up. And I mean, it was top of iTunes for, you know, week after week. Um, a story of church abuse, of power abuse, the story of using a phrase some people hate, but whatever, toxic masculinity, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, hyper-masculinity, weird hyper-Jesus masculinity, whatever that is or isn't. Um, but it became like, you know, people who who I knew were listening to it were like, I had to like stop and like go for a walk. I couldn't finish the first episode. I had to like, like people were being like reliving stuff that was like, traumatic stuff and then some of them people were hearing things named that they had never named before but were seeing patterns in their own lives or their own church experiences it feels like a the lord allowing a, a, a certain kind of judgment in its time sometimes judgment comes mm-hmm. centuries later or whatever uh, when people write a book about it later or something like that it's a very weird thing because i mean this is a man who's still pastoring hasn't really repented you know i mean like i don't know what his congregation is thinking sunday morning when everyone's no listening idea. to this in the country but driscoll and that that thing of this strong masculine you can put scare quotes around it if you want um charismatic bold decisive leader young mm-hmm. um became you know just like the epitome of what so many churches like wanted um wanted the guy who's the silver bullet for everyone's kids including mm-hmm. maybe even me you know mm-hmm. um wanted this like powerful figure just another savior person but at the time i mean it, it hits what's so interesting about the Driscoll moment and that young, restless, and reformed moment that you and I were both sort of, I think, you know, flying closer to the sun, um, maybe different ways, I'm not sure. But um, that moment did hit in which many of the things that we were hearing or seeing or the critiques 
seemed like they were like, yeah, that's true. Like guys have left their responsibilities. Guys have left the church. Right. Like I, I remember hearing him say it the way he said it and being like, uh, okay, but I know what he's looking at and mm-hmm. what he's looking at is true. Yeah. An abdication of men to be responsible, um, to be in any way present in the church at all. Right. And yeah, he used whatever kind of stuff to describe that. But it was also largely true of my experience growing up that your mom takes you to church, right? Like mm-hmm. you said, and 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 my mom, you know, taking us to church. My dad was there. My mom was clearly like the lead in like the seriousness thing. Sure. Um, and you know, in my dad's story, that changes some years later in his life and everything by the grace of God. Yeah, same here. Um, but in the formative years, right. it's like a bunch of strong women trying to save their families, no trying to get everybody in the place to hear Jesus. And, and yeah, as a young person, you are looking around being like, like, where are these strong? Like if you were even to think the thought, where are these strong, not my peer, not the youth group, young guy who's yeah. in college, yeah. but like, where are the dad generation? Totally. Where, where were they? And you'd say, oh, it's the pastor. But then even the pastor was usually a little bit older than that, maybe, or it was a little drier than that, or a little hokier, or it wasn't always an easy like match um to think of yeah of course church is a place for for men to be responsible and to have uh meaning and a role and to know who they are and to and to walk strong with jesus that might have been something people said but to see someone thinking that that was a motivational structure for the heart Mm -hmm. that jesus was something a strong man wanted to follow and could follow and that that was a life you could see or live out Mm. Not obvious in, in, in a lot of ways. There are people who pass through. I remember our church once upon a time, there was a, the worship leader uh, for a season, and he was a, I mean, he was physically strong. I was really young, so I was like, oh, wow, he's really strong. You know, like this is the era in which, like, we're like, the power team's ripping phone books for Jesus. There must be a God, you know? And so, like, you know, you're the Lord's Gym t shirts, you know, bench oh, pressing yeah. the cross. Oh, totally. Like, you're looking at this, and, and there is a correlation in a young kid's mind with, like, these guys are literally strong, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it might be a confusion, but there's definitely a correlation. So I remember this guy being like strangely strong, but also really kind and like kind of gentle. He would always like talk to me and like the younger kids in a way that wasn't like condescending or like, or I, I don't know, it was never like looking past us. He like, he would look at me. And I remember, you know, being, gosh, it must've been four or five years old. Um, and I remember him being like, here, try to do a chin up on my thumb, you know, and I would grab his thumb, like in the middle of the sanctuary and I would do chin ups on his thumb and he would just hold his hand out there. And I remember just being like, this is amazing. (laughs) But I remember it was amazing because he was smiling. He was laughing. He wasn't like, it didn't feel like something unhealthy. It felt like someone who was like, he was doing missionary work in Nicaragua at the time. I just remember being like, there's a guy here who is as as much of a strong person and man as I've I've seen and he loves Jesus mm. and he is passionate about the Lord and he is a smiling like happy laughing guy who like is leading worship and and things and feels like he's not young young he's got his life together it one of the only examples I can think of growing up where I was able as a kid to say oh a grown man um, not a kid not a college kid or whatever but a grown man who loves the Lord and 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 is living a real life committed to Him, mm. you know, in that way. Um, 
in a generation that was around my dad's generation that was like basically in that kind of that thing um so i remember growing up and by the time i was in those you know 20s and driscoll was like you know becoming whatever um and he's like making fun of this and pointing out that and everything like that and i'm like it's true it's true. Guys are the quickest to abandon all responsibility. No doubt. Like yeah. the quickest to abandon people, abandon their women, abandon mm-hmm. everything. In my experience, quickest to be selfish, including my own heart, including you. You know, like yeah. that's we've felt that we lived that. But just the chaos and the the destruction in the wake as I would get into my twenties and older, of watching what my peers were, the effects those those decisions were having on people, the effects their dad's decisions had on them. Mm-hmm. You were just like, there is a crisis of masculinity. Yeah. And it's not that we're not allowed to talk about masculinity. It's that I don't see hardly anybody who knows what it means to be a Christian man, who really knows how to be about those things instead of just the beer drinking, you know, sitcom dad man or whatever that guy is, um, or the or the more sort of deferential, softer spoken, you know, yeah, if that's what your mom says, let's go along with that. Um, but there was just not a clear example of of that when, when many people were looking around. And then Driscoll and a, and a few people started saying it. And started saying like, this is a huge problem. This is a social problem. This is a problem at every level. So I remember it being inspiring. Mm. I remember it being like, I see all the things he sees, and I agree with almost everything he points out as being a huge problem. What to do next? You know, okay, like I'm not sure about all these solutions or whatever, but I do remember feeling like something's be identi- being identified here as Calvary kids. I don't know if you felt it this way, but as Calvary or former Calvary kids we were suddenly near or around um, something called Reformed Christianity where there were books and there was like a history and there was like, um, there were, there was a history of men, um, you know, like leading in strong, clear, moral ways um, that had a tradition that had things that were beyond like the 1970s and 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember being like, oh, wow. So Christianity, like you can be like, you know, thoughtful, like you can like, go to school and you know like there there was an anti-intellectualism in in a lot of the christianity i grew up with mm-hmm. you just got to believe and you know yep. and be a nice person and you can be a pastor right. um you don't need train seminary is where you lose your faith and you know whatever um and no one encouraged me to to do schooling in that way because it was nice but totally unnecessary mm-hmm. to the christian life or to christian leadership anyway a lot of these things kind of congealed in a moment and many people felt them and then and then, and then some people sort of followed these different tribes to try to figure out what to do next. But it seemed like it was almost like a fatherless generation spiritually. Mm, and we had like Piper, we had like grandfather. We, hadn't yeah. quite, we weren't quite our dad's generation. It was like there was a missing generation yeah. of spiritual leadership yeah. just gone. And then we were like, what do we, <laughs> what do, we do? Who are we? Um, what did you feel during those, or did you have anything like a similar experience of the church or did you look around and say yeah where are my examples you had this guy that discipled you early mm-hmm. so maybe you had a couple living things around you that you were like okay wait that looks real um but did you feel similarly that there wasn't a lot of that next older generation like having made it or having like kept that was the divorce generation like n- not to yeah. beat up on boomers but like yeah, let's do it though let's that just was like <laughs> That was like that they moment. They think we're the problem. They so do, but no, I mean, but that was that moment in which in which divorce became the fifty five percent of the church oh, thing. Yeah, like that so was bad. that generation. Where yeah. were they? Well, a lot of them were getting divorced um, and other things, right? Yeah. So there was a moment there in which 
I started to feel called to ministry. You're feeling called to ministry. And I'm looking around and I'm looking at, uh, at people with white hair who have been in it for 40 years already. And I'm like, okay, we got we to read them then. We got to mm-hmm. go to their conference. We got to go. Mm-hmm. You know, the Piper talking about seashells instead of retirement. We're like, okay, we got to wake up. That's right. I know Powerful. he's telling the truth. Like, yep. we don't retire from Jesus. Like, yep. But where was that other generation? It, it was hard to find. And so, yes, uh, absolutely. Not only hard to find, but hard to tangibly interact with, which mm. was so frustrating and sad for me yeah super thankful for the influence of a few guys but even them were they're pretty close to my age okay you know, my buddy charlie i think he's only four years older oh, than okay me. so enough though i mean it, it, especially at that age in your 20s that's a big that's a decent jump yeah, yeah it works <laughs> but i'd say the biggest heartbreak for me as just a i don't know if you want to say just a jesus follower or as a vocational ministry person has been the total lack of available disciplers or mentors or whatever word you want to use. Uh, it's just scary how it's, it's like there was a professional class of Christians. And then if you don't have, can't get time with them, good luck because there might be a random guy here or there that I've heard hangs out with people. And it's just, it was tragic. I I can't tell you how many times, and I've wondered, is this me and my approach? But I have sat down and and asked guys that are older than me, at least five to ten years, that seem to be a bit beyond in maturity, life stage, kids, all those things, and said, hey, look, I'm, you know, I'm 38 now, but over the course of the years, hey, I'm 30, and I've you know, got a lot to learn in ministry. Would you have time to meet with me like just once a month? And pour out just whatever wisdom you got. We could hang out. Very few would say no because nobody wants to look like a jerk. <laughs> but uh, maybe my hit, Ray, I'm just making this number up, but 90% of those requests were a we met once, mm. maybe met a second time after multiple reschedules, and then just disappeared, just dissolved. And, you know, part of it was like, what am I doing wrong? Am I asking the wrong people? But then I look in the mirror, I'm like, okay, I'm a, I'm a young guy. I'm a pretty hungry learner. I mean, I've never had somebody ask me that. I've literally never had someone ask. So I know I'm, and I'm getting this from leadership books I'm reading. Like mm-hmm. you need to, if you want to get mentored, you got to go approach people and say, here's what I'm look hoping for. And uh, my, you know, my hit rate was just so low. And I used to get so discouraged by that. Thank God I've had a couple really solid, consistent guys that have pursued me, but that's such the exception. Um, and I don't want to overstate that at all. Uh, you know, if you're only getting 10% and they're the type of guys I've met, praise God, because they're amazing. <laughs> but it was just crazy how uh, how much I failed in that. And I, I, it's a little bit of a different shade of what you're, but it's the same issue, I mm-hmm. think, which is there's just sort of this vacuum uh, specifically amongst men, maybe it's women too, but I'm just speaking from my experience. There's a, there's a vacuum of like male m- mentoring and care for one another. It's like, unless mm. it's a professional relationship, it's almost like we don't know what to do with it. Mm. We don't know how to have like a fairly normal older brother relationship with a younger guy. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely something I'm trying to, I'm trying to go directly at that mm-hmm. and be that, older brother for younger guys. I and mean, that's beauty of FCA is like, 
you know, I'm 15 years older than these kids, at least, you know, sometimes now 25. And in those relationships, I'm clearly an older brother and mentor. And I have like more of a fatherly, you know, somewhere between that uncle range to brother to father (laughs) range where I'm still kind of cool enough to feel like they, I make sense to them, but, um, but not their dad. And I, you know, when, when I think when Driscoll did that, I agree with you. What he was seeing was tragic and heartbreaking. How he went about solving it, obviously, is where we have the big beef with. But, but he was touching on a very, at least for me, that's a deep wound mm. to, want, to want the involvement of an older man, specifically depending on how, how, you're, how involved your own father was. There's a, there's a wound in there of wanting affirmation, wanting presence, wanting the teaching, wanting the, this how you do life. And so when someone's pointing out, we've got a failure and no one's doing that. We got to rally up. It's like, sure. yeah, because I don't want to hurt anymore. And I don't want people to hurt like me. Right. And when you can touch that, yeah. you can really get people to do things. Yeah. And the, it was that double-edged sword. He was pointing on something that really had hurt and had hurt men. And it hurt men that were at a point where like, I'm okay vocalizing the fact that I feel like I missed out. Yeah. And I want more. Yeah. And so I'm going to be part of that solution. And then the other side of that edge, which is well, here's how we're going to solve that problem. And you're like, well, I don't know if I really want to do it that way. And, but that's the only <laughs> offer being made. So in this moment, you know, let's say with, with everyone having sort of, or so many people having listened to that and in a culture right now where people are very, and in a lot of ways, perfectly fairly, um, having to reckon with, um, you know, let's just say, the male um, use and abuse of women um, as a convention, as a casual convention of masculinity, um, real or imagined, but part of the imaginary, right? Mm -hmm. Part of this, like the supposed world of how, what a man is and everything Um, from the darkest corners of like, you know, the incel, you know, version of that to, to just blatant abuse of people in power. Um, we're also in this moment now in which people are fleeing the church, some for very good reasons, at least as far as their experiences go. Um, and the role of a pastor having spiritual authority or even being a spiritual father or whatever, um, is now sort of like loaded with anathemas loaded Mm. with like patriarchal feelings and like abuse structure feelings. And, misogynist like assumptions and what about women in leadership and everything you know you can however you want to come at it we have a culture that is very very not likely but by the grace of work of god to listen to anybody about authority or spiritual Mm -hmm. authority but now with this like kind of i would just say reckoning of decades i mentioned we talked about a little bit before um the book jesus and john wayne which i recommend but is really sad um just to you know just to hear someone describing you know decades of this reality of sort of a a macho sort of christianized culture where you realized what you and i saw with our demographic which is you can really motivate men if you give them a 
you know, you're going to be strong. You're going to, you know, you're going to finally step up and be someone. You're going to have, this is like, you know, the Jordan Peterson effect or whatever, right? It's just a bunch of people needing someone to say, we expect something of you and you need to go out and do it. And everyone's like, oh, yes, daddy. You know, like everybody over the top wants to respond to anyone looking at them and saying, you need to step up. You need to do this. You need to be this. Jesus and John Wayne is just marking how far back that Mm, goes just in the last century of how, how easy it's been to yoke different realities together in order to motivate men, right? So it's like the problem of, of, that men have suffered or are is obvious and devastating and sometimes tragic, and then the motivational structure of how to respond to it equally awful and, and just perpetuates a new, sometimes much more subtle kind of abuse now, you know, spiritual abuse or, you know, like these yeah. other things that aren't as obvious until maybe you hear them all laid out play by play in a podcast or something like that. But um, in that atmosphere, in which we see the problem and then the answer is as much the problem as anything else, generation on generation, um, a sort of faux masculinity that is not grounded in the gospel, that is not self-sacrificing love, that is very much power in my hands to lead, to be strong, Mm -hmm. to be seen, to have a platform, to whatever it is. And again, Driscoll just being a version of that, you could look anywhere and find the same thing again and again the last few decades. You're a husband, you're a father, you're a pastor, you're an athlete, you're a coach, you're, you're, you're all of those, you're the former president of the frat. I mean, you're, you're like, you could be a lot of different versions of this guy. I'm like the most hated character <laughs> in many people's minds. You're white. And if they only knew, I, I'm actually worse. It's very but, bad. Yeah, uh, it's and you're French. Um, I mean, you know, there's, That's a, the worst there's a lot happening here. Um, but... Um, but you have all these kinds of uh, hats that you're wearing, but as a as a Christian man who wants to live a life that honors God, you know. Before we started recording, you told me, if I don't mind me saying this, I think you said that you were like the first in your family line to raise kids or to be a man who raises their kids in the things of the Lord. Uh, is that more or less the case? Yeah, from what as you far back tell? as I know, on my at least on my dad's side of the family, and so. It's not that you've necessarily seen these things before, even in your own experience, or at least in your, you know, your genealogy, but you are doing it and you are being a husband, you are being a father, you, you are in this moment, you are young. Um, like when I do premarital counseling and I don't know if all this will make the tape, but I'm just talking, but, um, when I do premarital counseling, we get to Ephesians. One of the things I usually say to the gentleman is, um, I'm gonna, we're going to talk about this. Um, I don't know if anybody knows what this means to love your wife as Christ loves the church. So you might understand what the words say. You might, but historically, that's given men a false confidence that therefore now they know how to go forward, like it's a curriculum, and they have the five points of whatever they need to do next. I go you're going to discover this you know, maybe by failing, but you're going to discover this by having to, to do that in the moments when you don't want to do this. Mm. You cannot assume that just because we cover this passage, you therefore know what a Christian husband is supposed to be and look like. Yeah. Because until you're living this way, and again, I can't think of more than, I can't think of more than two or three people in my whole life that I've ever seen genuinely over time live that way mm. as a man. 
self-sacrificial love as Christ loves the church and gives his life for her to put someone else first again and again and again. Almost always there's some subtle slip back to, well, but a leader needs to lead. And so that means I make the decisions and mm. I'm just going to take that. And if it's bad, I'll take it on the chin. I'll take responsibility for mm. it. Still not what that's all about. That has nothing to do with <laughs> yeah, that. Totally. Right? right? Yeah. So like the lack of experience of seeing this, the absence of those examples of what, let's just say a Christian husband, but the prevalence of people knowing the verse. Um, I'm always like, I want to almost, I want to take the Bible back. I want to be like, wait, 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 wait. Just, you cannot assume that we know what this is and therefore we can move to the next mm-hmm, sentence mm-hmm. Um, until you prove this over time with the Lord and actually die to yourself. Yep. Again, easy to preach. Um, and then part of the challenge is because so few men seem to be taking even basic cultural responsibility, like the bar is so low, (laughs) right? So if you happen to not be a pervert, like, like, wow, we like, who are you and how, how did you get there? Um, if you happen to not be a pervert, you happen to not try to get your way all the time. You happen to not be uh, aggressive or bullish Mm -hmm. in how you treat people. Uh, maybe you won't be so successful by the way, because I heard you're supposed to be like that if you really want to get things done. But, um, like literally if you just happen to not be an a-hole, um, you are like this rare person who maybe you're not very much, you know, masculine, who knows? We'll, we'll debate that, but you're, you're strange already. Yeah. Okay. Um, and yet you and I have been called as husbands, fathers, pastors to somehow live honest, open, authentic lives that (laughs) are, are not just not evil, right? Like, yeah. like are not just not hurting women, or or yeah. or treating them wrong, or making jokes. Like that it, that bar is under the ground for yeah. us. Like yeah. that that is nothing that yeah. that we're supposed to be anywhere near. Yeah. Um, and that has nothing to do with positively living out a Christ likeness as a man. So, I don't even know the question. I, I'm I, hearing. A, I do hear yeah, a question okay. though. It's what just do like, how do you navigate this? Because I think that's the there's the marker points are so yeah uh, nonlinear uh, unhelpful at times that you know like how, where do I even start to learn how to live in this manner especially especially when you bring up like Ephesians four and talking about actually loving anyone like Christ has loved anyone I mean that <laughs> if I even get close to loving anyone the way Christ has loved me. I will have crushed, you know, like life spiritually. Mm. I mean, it's just, I think I've been teaching through Luke. So we've been going through Luke as a church and just got into Luke 14. And then in Luke 13, Jesus is really talking a lot more frequently about the kingdom of God. And then Luke 14, he kind of turns a corner and he starts to put flesh on that, what it looks like. And the simple observation is it looks completely different than anything that we would probably make up uh, the way that he expects his disciples to live like life like looks dramatically different than what almost all of us automatically script our life to look like that includes interpersonal relationships almost primarily the way that he's asking his disciples to treat people is constantly frustrating constantly counterintuitive i mean so much that though that they're concerned that he's even appropriately jewish i mean what are you dragging us into jesus we can't eat with them we can't go to that we can't have that person here 
you got a zealot, a tax collector. I mean, I don't know if you've watched any of The Chosen. Yeah, but usually yeah. I avoid all Christian media because it's terrible. Same, same. But like The Chosen is actually good. Surprisingly, I was shocked. Yeah. I was like, I even was in, choked up a few episodes. Yes, yeah. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, they did it. How did they capture it? And um, <laughs> but what I love about that is it shows you the real interpersonal tensions of these real human beings that walk with Jesus, and we're like, are we sure we're gonna do this? And like, I can't stand that guy. He's part of the crew, you know. And it's so obvious that Jesus is over and over and over again, trying to teach us, like, stop trying to figure out life on your terms, by your ways, and surrender to me. Mm. And you got to know it's going to be really difficult for you. Like, you instinctively don't want to do the things I want you to do. Like, I just got done finishing um, finishing teaching that first chunk of Luke 14, where Jesus ends at this party and says... You know, when you invite people over to your house for a meal, don't just invite your brother and your sister and your friends and your rich neighbors. No, go out and invite the leper and the lame and the, and I kind of joked with our church of like, (laughs) uh, so this is where we would prefer if Jesus was like the mighty consultant, right? The great suggester, (laughs) right? Like this is not something that I don't want to do this. Okay. I'm at Sunday. I'm the pastor here. I'm telling you, I really actually don't want to do that. I don't want to this week go pick up homeless people, lepers, diseased, and have them over for a party in my house. And yet, Jesus is saying, this is what my kingdom looks like. Because I was hospitable to you when you were that broken. Mm. And now I want you to go be hospitable as I've been hospitable to you. Like, I I am the king of kings, the righteous, holy one, the never sinned, that loved constantly, perfectly, all the time, did all this. And I'm inviting you to my table. And now... I want you to invite people to your table because you didn't deserve it when I invited you. Now I want you to invite those that don't deserve it from you. And it's there and only there is their transformation. Mm. I mean, we, we just can't do for other people we don't believe has been done for us. And so this crazy domineering male type thing is just an evidence of what hasn't happened inside. Yeah, you might go to church. For sure, you might have memorized Bible verses. But inside the depths of your heart, you have not been touched by the grace of God. And it is evident by the lack of grace that you have for failures of your children, and of your spouse, and of whoever else. And you domineer because you feel in power and you feel like you need control in order for things to be right. And that's the antithesis of the gospel because you were never in control to begin with. You never will be in control. And actually, when Jesus is in control and you're surrendered, you're actually at your place of greatest safety, but you don't believe that. And the reason I know you don't believe that is because I can look at your life and see how you're trying to hold on to everybody and everything. And that's your true hope. Mm. That's, that's the real idol of your heart is you and your ability to control everything. So we have a great gospel work ahead of us. And I'm, I'm thankful because I have had men who have been incredibly gospel centered to use it, you know, the hashtag of it, but that lived like that. I mean, the guy that mentored me that pastored the first church plant we were part of that I wouldn't be in ministry without Aaron Cameron. I mean, he was a man that I saw take, take the hard road of humility. And for me personally, humility is the, it is, it's almost impossible to fake it, and it seems to me at least and this is just my personal pr- opinion on it 
humility to me is the most visible, tangible sign that somebody actually knows Jesus. Mm. There's a lot of other fruits that you can kind of like put on that are Christ-like, but humility is the one that I'm most attracted to because it just seems like the hardest to fake. And it's the most costly. And because it's Jesus who, although was God, didn't think of equality of God as something to cling to, but humbled himself as a human being and died a criminal's death. You know, the, the, the King of Kings who washes feet. I mean, the whole micro or narrative to me is this, the God that actually acts like a servant, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's just, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's why the gospel is such a supernatural reality because it just doesn't make any sense that God would condescend himself that way. And yet he does. And then, specifically in the context that we're talking about to men, he says, now go and do the same. And we're like, no, cause it's not comfortable. And like my house would be way better if I could just tell everybody what to do. Yeah. Jesus. That's not, that's not a man. And the yeah. reality is we just think <laughs> Jesus is full of crap yeah. and we're like, hmm. and, or we just don't trust them. You know, right. we're like, yeah, that, that sounds nice. And Jesus, that's cool. And of course you're God. And like, I don't want to go to hell and all that stuff. But like, but the reality is you don't know anything about my life. I know about my life. Mm. And if my life's really going to be successful, it should probably look like this. So, you know, Jesus, I'll fit you in on some of my takes on this and that. And, you know, for sure you agree with me politically and all that. But really what <laughs> I'm going to do is what I want to do. Yeah. And I think we just have a huge gospel and discipleship issue, which is we're not surrendered to Jesus. Yeah. You know, and, and it's just so evident in the way we treat people. Yeah. I, what I appreciate, especially about your response to my not question, um, <laughs> was um, we don't need a certain number of of other examples. We need Jesus, Amen. right? And yeah. and there is no, we don't lack anything, even if there is or was a generational crisis because we have him right. and, I, and I do think one of those challenges or problems is and I'm just speaking for men in general it's like we want to fix it we want five points we want yep. a, a new book that we can get the answers out of yep. we want to be able to do something and what we struggle to do is just to know Jesus is yep. to surrender to Jesus to turn back to him because he's not giving us five steps necessarily he's not giving us a clean kind of slogan or an outline or a hashtag or whatever it is and And he didn't to his early disciples either i mean they were constantly frustrated by this guy right i mean if you look at jesus as like a successful leader (laughs) you're like what the heck are you doing here's mentoring it just doesn't make sense what he does and and it's so frustrating as a logical person yeah i want logical solutions doesn't mean it's anti-logical it just means his kingdom just literally doesn't operate by the things that we think it should. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not the either or it's like, it's like miles McPherson wrote a book, the third option. It it's the third option. It's a different option altogether. Right. And we so badly want to benchmark what he wants from us off of something that already exists. Yeah. But oftentimes it's, it's his challenge to us by spirit into our hearts saying, that was ridiculous. Say sorry. Mm-hmm. And then there's that hinge point mm-hmm. every day. Do I, do I surrender to that voice? <laughs> do I say sorry? And that was ridiculous and mm-hmm. own it. The fact that I just blew it. 
All right, I get defensive. Mm. Ah, forget it. I'm going defensive. She wouldn't understand anyways. And blah, blah, blah. And there it is, man. There it is. For me, for you, today, tomorrow, for every person that wants to follow after Jesus, this moment by moment by moment by moment. And, man, it's a, it's a crazy journey. But those that I see loving well are entering into that tension with Jesus and moment by moment. Am I going to depend on the Holy Spirit or am I going to depend on my flesh? Mm. And um, it, it's crazy that Jesus said in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane to his disciples that the, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But often it feels like the flesh is willing and the Spirit's weak because mm. it's so hard not to give in to that. And I think that brings me back to that word of humility of like, if God doesn't by his power show up in and through us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, if that doesn't happen, we have no chance. Like there's no fix for masculinity just by like someone rehabbing it or telling us what we blew up in the future. The hope for masculinity and femininity is surrender to Jesus. Like not once at camp, like every single moment of every single tension in your life. Amen. And that is so hard. Mm-hmm. I'm preaching to myself most sure, of the time. Sure. And, um, yeah, I just, I, I hope that whoever heard this today would, would say yes, you know, would say yes, that surrender, whatever that looks like yeah. and, uh, and, and enjoy it. Cause I, like you mentioned, he, he's so good, so gracious. And what's exciting about this conversation to me is there's, there is a rally point. It's not, it's not. Driscoll's rally point it's the it's this rally point of like Jesus is enough yeah like he's gonna lead us and and the things that hurt let let the hurt let a hurt push you into a conversation with him about what he would have you do about that and that's so good and and I and the struggle for me and us as pastors is like we want to answer that solution for each person and template it and it's like I I ought to learn to let go and be like Hey, what I really want to do as a pastor is actually, I'm not going to answer that. I'm just going to tell you, I want you to, I'm going to pray with you and I want you to go and sit with that with him because he's good enough to direct you and he loves you and he's going to show you and just have confidence in that. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Tim. That's our time, my friends. If you would like to support the podcast, please do subscribe and rate us on iTunes. And if you would like even more content and to become a patron of the podcast, head on over to FromBabylonWithLove.com, click on Newsletter, and sign up there. Until then, many thanks to producer Zach Leach for all the twists and turns, and to Lonesome and Muddy, the only house band that'll survive the apocalypse. This has been From Babylon 